Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast with Aaron Holt, Functional Nutritionist. I work with clients on the seacoast of New Hampshire and virtually all over the world through both private consultations and online nutrition programs. I'm here with my co-host, Kyle Mayorana, registered dietitian of Root Down Nutrition based in Asheville, North Carolina. We are both board-certified integrative and functional nutritionists. This means we dive deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. In this podcast, we will address all things health, food, and nutrition, discussing our research, clinical experience, and life experience. Please keep in mind our disclaimer, this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or medical treatment. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Hi, guys. It's Kyle. No, this is Erin. I was like, are you stealing my intro? (laughs) My my own introduction? Uh, You're on the shelf. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I can know. Every once in a while, I feel like popping in, ranting. How is it going with you? Um, life is good. I have no Do you have complaints. Any, any big plans? Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm reliving my my youth. Um, this upcoming weekend and going to Bonnaroo. So, pray for me. Pray for me. I can't wait to see photos. <laughs> yeah, I know. I gotta. I don't have like a personal Instagram and then a professional Instagram, so I'm going to have to be a little picky about what I'm posting. Yeah, yeah. Just maybe <laughs> post some like food pics and just no, call it a day. Not like funneling tequila. Woo! No, no, don't do that. <laughs> balance. Hashtag balance. Hashtag balance. Um, all right. So we're going to get into a fun topic today. I mean, hopefully it's going to be fun. Who's even to say? Um <laughs> Well, wait, what's what's going on, on in your neck of the woods? Um, same all, same all. Oh, I do have one announcement to make. Um, I set the date for the next carb compatibility project. So that's going to start on August 5th. That's a Monday. So the, the first time I ran it last year was in August, and that was a good group. So if you want to jump on board with that, you know, just mark your calendars, August 5th. I always tell people to sign up ahead of time just to get your ducks in a row. 90% of the people don't, so whatever. But um, I, will, <laughs> I will say that um, if you're interested in my hormone program, I know I have a, a robust wait list, and I'm going to reach out to you guys to let you know all the specifics of it soon, but I'm recommending that people run through the CCP uh, before they do the hormone program just to make sure that they've got their blood sugar under control. It's not a requisite. Um, it's just a recommendation. So think about that. Um, the hormone program, we're going to do some food stuff, but I'm really not going to get into the nitty gritty of like how to construct uh, a whole food diet. So um, it might make sense for some people, especially if you do think you have blood sugar dysregulation, to start with that program first. So just a heads up there, because I know we've got a lot of people um, that are thinking about joining the hormone program in September. Yeah. So that's it. That's get the, the big... foundation stuff done. Yeah, that's, I mean, the more I work with people, the more I see there's really, before you start diving into the functional stuff, you really want to take the time to lay the foundation, reach for the low-hanging fruit, do all that kind of stuff before diving into the functional tests, 
Would you agree with that? I mean, hormones, I feel like number one, if you, you got to be honest with yourself about what your diet is like already. And if you need some time to clean that up, because that's not, you know, usually like a super quick turnaround for everyone, then give yourself the time to do that because the programs are going to run again and you'll be able to just take so much more from them being kind of teed up. Yeah, the way that I'm, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to do what my business coach tells me to do, and I'm trying to like plan out my year in advance. Normally, I'm just like fly by the seat of my oh, pants. That's, that's familiar. I feel I uh, that's a familiar uh, recommendations by business coach. I mean Kyle. <laughs> that's your. That's your new I'm coach. like plan your breaks. You're like I cannot do that. I can't do that. But, I'm gonna, you know. tr- and I'm gonna try to. Before I run every hormone program, I'll probably do that two to three times a year. I'm going to try to do a CCP right beforehand so people can kind of plan accordingly and like jump into the CCP before they do the hormone program. I thought you were going to say before every single like time I'm going to do the hormone program, I'm going to make sure that I take a little bit of break myself. (laughs) Literally not even. (laughs) Like I'm just going to run a different program right beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I'm doing it for the people, Kyle. I know. This is what people pay for. You don't stop. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, okay. Maybe they can also pay for my therapy when I have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> also that. Um, all right. So today we're going to answer a listener question that came in. So do you want to read the listener question? <clears throat> it actually came into your Instagram. Do you know who sent it in? Do you uh, have the name? crap. No. No, I don't remember. Shout out to you, kind lady. (laughs) You'll know who you you are. Thank you. Um, Okay. They asked, I was hoping to get your professional opinion on intuitive eating and the Hayes approach. While IE isn't a new concept, it seems to be a big movement right now. Just wondering what your opinion is on IE and Hayes, the good, bad, misconceptions, how to incorporate it with... with functional and integrative nutrition, et cetera. Thanks. All right. So I thought this, we had totally planned to discuss all of this, um, which was funny timing because this week's opinion piece in the New York Times um, really stirred up some stuff with people. Uh, The title is Smash the Wellness Industry. And the author writes about her experience with intuitive eating. So we're going to talk a little bit about that um, because I'm sure a lot of you guys have read it or seen it shared around on the interwebs. Um, So basically, Intuitive Eating was a book originally published back in 1995. It has since gone through several different iterations. It was written by two registered dietitians, Evelyn Tribol and Elise Resch. Totally could be butchering those names, but um, they're still both practicing to this day and they're like obviously like the founders of the intuitive eating movement i read that book uh back in the day and i applied it in most of the principles as part of my own recovery from eating disorders so it's definitely a book and a concept that's near and dear to my heart and has been for quite a few years Um, the basic principles of intuitive eating are to reject the diet mentality and reject food rules Uh, You want to honor your hunger. So in other words, you want to eat when you're hungry. uh, Because if you don't eat when you're hungry, you will be triggered to overeat. And I really love that they 
touch upon that concept so much because I think it's so misunderstood and so overlooked. Um, I, I hear so many people talking about nighttime eating or quote unquote binge eating at night. And there really obviously is binge eating disorders, but some women I'm like, do you really have binge eating at night or are you just starving yourself all day and then you get hungry at night because there's a difference. So intuitive eating is really about respecting your hunger cues and eating throughout the day um, to prevent yourself from that overeating. Um, you want to respect your body and your health and also honor your feelings and your emotions without using food, which is not to look down on emotional eating, but instead say like, hey, you have to have a way to cope with what you're feeling that isn't just food, right? So I love all of that. And obviously, if you've been listening to this podcast or following my work for a while, you'll see that there is a lot of overlap between intuitive eating and the work that I do. I am not trained as an intuitive eating practitioner. You certainly can be. There's trainings through those two RDs that you can go through. Um, and if you're interested in this, I would highly recommend doing that. Um, I have just used some of the the principles um, that I've used in my own recovery and kind of weave them into the work that I do. And then HAYS, which stands for Health at Every Size, is an approach and it's also a movement um, that kind of came out of discussions amongst healthcare workers, um, just at the average person and also activists and advocates who reject the use of BMI weight and size as measures for health. Um, and the movement also rejects the idea that weight is a choice, um, which is for sure the message that we've all been steeped in for years, right? It's like the idea that if you're fat, it's because you're lazy, right? You're, you're fat, it's your fault. Um, so the Hayes movement kind of upturns all of that. And the leader... And maybe the founder, um, I think the founder is Dr. Linda Bacon, um, who is just a phenom. It's kind of like all hail Dr. Bacon. She's awesome. Oh, yeah. She just came to Asheville and it was like that. No way. Was <laughs> people like tailgating? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where was she? Um, she just gave a talk because there's, there's like a bunch of um, – eating disorder treatment facilities and stuff like that. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. Cause I didn't go, I was working. It was like in the middle of the day. Oh, okay. People, people took work off to see oh, yeah. Dr. Bacon. Tailgated. Yep. Yeah. She's really good stuff. And her whole premise is that all bodies should be valued. So the, the Hayes movement celebrates body diversity it honors differences in size, age, race, ethnicity, gender, disability, sexual orientation, religion, class, and other human attributes. So it goes so far beyond just size. And if you think about the wellness industry, and I know I've said this before, but I it bears repeating, it's mostly PYTs, right? <laughs> <laughs> so bang on. It's uh. the pretty young thin, able-bodied, heterosexual, cisgendered, well-to-do white woman. I mean, that is that is the wellness industry in a nutshell. I mean, I hate to call out Gwyneth Paltrow because I love her <laughs> in movies. Um, but, you know, it's like goop. It's just that, right? Mm -hmm. So Hayes really, really 
starts to pick that apart and like is like, hey, that's actually not representation of like the world. Um, it also challenges scientific and cultural assumptions. It values body knowledge and lived experiences, which I really, really appreciate. Um, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's like, I don't care what the research says. I'm really interested in knowing like what your experience is, like what's the experience in your body. Like, I actually want to hear that. And that is not the case for the wellness world. That is not the case for you know, modern food or anything. It's more like, well, this is what the rules are. So this is what I'm going to do. Um, this discussion actually came up a couple of times this week where people have asked me my opinion on the blood type diet. And I'm like, listen, there's not a whole lot of science to back it up, right? Like it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. So I wouldn't use it clinically for those reasons. But there's a lot of people, I shouldn't say a lot, but there's been plenty of people that have done that diet with really incredible results. And I'm not going to sit down with those people, look them in the eye and be like, well, it's all crap. I'm not going to invalidate their experience. If you're telling me I'm doing this thing and I'm having really good results with it, who the hell am I to say, well, that's stupid, right? So we have to listen to people. We have to value their experiences and value what's going on in their body, their what's happening in their you know, in their life. Um, finding the joy in moving one's body and being physically active. And then finally, eating in a flexible and attuned manner that values pleasure and honors internal cues of hunger, satiety, and appetite. So those are like the big tenets that all comes from the Hayes website. So you can, I'll link to that and you can guys can check that out if you want to hear or read a little bit more about it. Um, so what we're going to do is talk about the pros as we see it. And just before anybody like wiles out about all this, what we're doing here is giving our opinions, which is what the listener asked for. So we're giving our opinions about these two things. That's all it is. Okay. So I love Hayes, the Hayes movement for all of the reasons that I just said. Um, my biggest thing is I love how much the movement calls BS on the idea that you have to be thin to be healthy. Um, in our culture, we've conflated health with leanness. So we see leanness as the epitome of health. And, you know, even to go take it a step beyond that, we see leanness as the epitome of happiness. The pursuit of skinny is so widely socially acceptable that it's almost an expectation. So like if you're not doing that, if you're not on a diet, if you're not talking about your diet, if you're not critiquing your body, then something's wrong with you, right? And I've talked about this a few times, but it's really how my eating disorder flew under the radar for so long. It's like people saw me and they were like, well, Erin's just healthy. Like that's that's what she's doing, right? She, she is the pursuit of health. And it's like, obviously that's not really the case, but we, we really view it as like weight loss is health, even though that is not the truth. Health and leanness aren't necessarily synonyms. And so I really love how much this movement calls attention to that um, because we have to, we have to break apart that belief in our culture. There's always like a community around that. Like they're so easy to find other people that you can talk to about a diet, about, um, you know, critiquing your body, about weight loss. Like there's always people that can participate in that conversation. But if you are that person that's like, yeah, I just feel really good. I'm not on a diet. Pretty happy. It's like crickets. Like no one has anything to say about that. It's like misery loves company. You can always find people that will 
kind of feed into this um, pursuit of skinny. You know, it's funny that you say that because I don't really, ex- I don't see it that much. And I think it's because people know what's up, you know, like with me and don't, wouldn't really talk about that with me. Um, but you've cured at this point in like, we're in our late thirties, we've curated our friendships. Like at, very, true. you know what I mean? Like in your twenties, you have a bit of a more diverse group that you hang out with. You kind of ignore certain things that come out of people's mouth. And then by the time you're in your thirties, you're just like, no, I'm, I'm cherry picking my friends. Like I'm not even going to waste time on you unless you're like, you know, legit. Yeah. Unless you get it. That's yeah. a good point. I'm, I'm just, I have a friend who she always talks about, um, like her coworkers, how they're always talking about the diets and this and that. Or, you know, when I'm in the changing room at a gym or something like that and I overhear women talking, I'm like, whoa, like this is heavy. I can't believe Mm. people. I'm like, you don't have anything better to talk about? That's kind of sad. But hey, that's, you know, that's what's going on. Um, So we have to disrupt a lot of that and Hayes stands to do that. And then finally, or not finally, but another point is that they really talk about fat shaming in medicine and this is a big, big deal. And it's such a big deal that we're not going to go into it a ton in this show. But there's a great article that was um, published on the Huffington Post. And it's entitled, Everything You Know About Obesity is Wrong. So I'm going to link to that article um, in case you want to do some further reading. It's so good. And it just really showcases how damaging um fat phobia and fat shaming is um, in medicine. It's it's really not okay. I have a client who is 59 and a couple of years ago, she got some not so great blood work from her doctor. And so the doctor's like, all right, you got to lose weight. You got to move more. You got to eat better. And so at 57 or 58, she started eating a whole foods diet, kind of switched more over to paleo in like dipping her toe in ketogenic, but like in a really healthful way. Um, She started training to like run races. She just completely overhauled her entire life and lost weight. And more importantly, um, her blood looked a lot better. I like her blood markers, triglycerides, cholesterol, that kind of stuff. And was like doing great, feeling awesome. And then she happened to go back to the doctor and she had put on some weight. And the doctor was like, well, you know what you need to do. You need to, you know, like eat less and move your body more. You know, you gotta, you gotta, she like really, really shamed her. And when this woman was telling me about it, she started to cry and she's like, I can't, you know, like, what else can I do, Erin? I'm doing everything I possibly can do. And I just, like, wanted to be, like, give me that doctor's name. Like, I was going to, like, drive to the clinic and be, like, explain yourself. Um, And really what had happened, this woman had started to do more CrossFit-style workouts. She was strength training a lot more. She had put on muscle mass. So she had gained weight because of the muscle mass. I mean, she was still all of her, her health. She's like, I've never felt better. I've never had more energy. I'm running races. I'm, like, you know, she's, like, deadlifting and squatting and doing all this crazy stuff at 59 feeling amazing and a doctor was more concerned with the fact that she had like put on eight pounds than anything else you know and like that's happening on the reg oh i mean as somebody that works in a hospital i can't even tell you how frequently i see obesity written on someone's medical chart and 
with due to excess calories written next to it. And I can guarantee there is not even a conversation 99% of the time that the doctor had with the with the patient. It's just based on BMI and then next to it so that they can, you know, you know, come up with some uh, etiology for this problem, they say um, due to excess calories. And it's just, it's so black and white and it's so simple. And, you know, really that's where we get, they get a lot of the recommendations that we hear from doctors like eat less, exercise more, avoid fat. Um, one of my favorites, avoid white things. I can't tell you how many patients have been like, my doctor told me I can't have white things. So I'm like, cauliflower, like parsnips, onions. <laughs> like, I just start like rattling off all this stuff and they're just like blank stare. But BMI is still used as the gold standard for judging someone's weight and health in the medical community, judging being the key word there, rarely are other factors considered. It's just boiled down to will, willpower. You're eating too much and you're not moving enough. Which is so infuriating because we know that, that there's so much more to it than, than yeah. that. And hey, if that worked, if, if that ideology worked, then we would all be walking around in super healthy <laughs> right. fit bodies. We would not have, have gone into this career because it would have just kind of been like all wrapped up in a neat little bow already. Right. I'd be exactly. like an accountant. <laughs> oh Jesus, that would that would be that would be really tough for the, for your clients. Uh, hair clips. All right, <laughs> all right. Mute yourself. Good, good idea. Good. All right. The other thing, <laughs> the other thing that I love is that Hayes calls out thin privilege, and mm. that is not a term that's thrown around a lot. Uh, thin privilege is the socio-political narrative that thin bodies are superior. Smaller equals superior. Thinner equals better. Um, Chrissy King uh, was actually the first person to bring up thin privilege on this podcast. It was such a good episode, episode 43. Check it out if you haven't yet. She's amazing. And she also, I love the fact that she brought up this whole idea of people co-opting the body positive movement. So the Hayes movement, the body positive movement was developed for a reason. And then what happened is that the dieting industry and the wellness world like swooped in and co-opted it. So now we have, once again, PYTs being like, I love my body, despite the fact that I have five extra pounds on my body. I love it. Despite the cellulite, I love it. And it's like, that's not what the movement was about, you know? So that's frustrating. Um, yeah. And and it's like, you, I the way that, the best way I could describe it is like when people use before and after pictures and they're like, this isn't about the weight. And it's like, yeah, it is, or else you wouldn't be showcasing a before and after picture where at one point you weighed more and the second point you weighed less. And those side, the you, you could use whatever caption you want, whatever body positive, positivity message you want, but ultimately what it's saying is that you value a smaller body. You are saying thinner is better even if your caption says otherwise. And I just can't with the side-by-side -side photos. I just can't. Yeah. So yeah. Um, Hayes does a lot of talking around around that and really calling out thin privilege and recognizing um, that there is such thing as thin privilege and we kind of have to check ourselves around all of that. 
um, even if our words say one thing, do our actions actually align with those words? So for all of those reasons, I'm like super on board um, with all of it. And then there's some things that I see and it's not the movement in and of itself. I think it's just certain people within the movement that um, write about these ideas and kind of make it seem like an either or solution. I sometimes feel that both haze and intuitive eating throws the baby out with the bathwater. Th that would be my, mm -hmm. my biggest con. Yeah, absolutely. I see this a lot on social media around the all foods fit message. I'll see posts implying that if you're avoiding any food for any reason other than absolute medical necessity, that it's considered disordered and not intuitive eating. And to me, it implies, once again, that we can't be trusted to decide what goes on our plate. So we need a slogan, all foods fit, to base our food decisions off of. And it's just too black and white and too boiled down for me. Like, instead of rejecting food rules and saying, it's saying anything goes. And I kind of think that's going from one extreme to the, to the next for a lot of us. Um, to me, intuitive eating is just being mindful about how foods make you feel and then honoring your body by choosing to eat more of the foods that make you feel good and less of the foods that don't. What fits on someone else's plate and makes them feel good may look totally different for you. And as someone who strongly believes in individualized nutrition, I guess I just feel like there's no individualization in this message. It's just all foods fit. And many of the foods that are used in this message that I see on social media are not whole foods. They're completely processed foods, which I definitely can't get behind. Like if you want to eat those foods, fine. But to slap on this like message like of all foods fit and this is a balanced diet and this belongs on a healthy plate, like it, it does, it, it, to me, it, it doesn't. You can choose to eat that, but I don't know that you, I don't see why we need to create, you know, a message around that food. Like that shouldn't be the food we're using to highlight all foods fit. I, I don't know. It just, it doesn't sit well with me. Yeah. And I don't think our intention of this podcast is to villainize any food, whole no. food or processed food. Like you guys know our stance. We, we are whole food nutritionists. Like that's what we do. Um, I think that you can eat processed foods time and again. I don't think it's going to upend your entire health mm -hmm. as long as everything else is, you know, you know, working well, but we're also never going to be like, yeah, processed foods, the way to go. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like just, right. we, just based on the research that we've done, what we've studied and what we've seen clinically, just neither of us are going to support that. But, um, um, I had another point and I just, it just went out the window. So I guess it wasn't all that important. Yeah. I'm definitely not like villainizing, you know, processed foods. I, I'm not, you know, out foraging for every meal, you know, I mean, I'm, but I think, I think there's just a lot of messages out there where it's like pictures of candy and cake and Oreos. And it's like, these are, these are not bad foods and all foods fit. And I'm just like, whoa, like it, it just, I don't know. It's it such just, an extreme. It's such an extreme. We're going from anti, you know, food rules to now anti just 
whole foods being the basis of every of your diet. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. And you know, I was this is what I was thinking earlier. It's like, I think what might happen is that when somebody's living by food rules for so long, whether it's an eating disorder or otherwise, when they start to like crack the shell of that and like bust out of that, there might be a period of like absolute rebellion where you're like, I've been living with rules for so long that I'm going to eat whatever I want and give myself unconditional permission to eat whatever I want. And in the intuitive eating book actually goes into this. Like there might be a period of time where you're like, I'm going to eat the Oreos. I'm going to eat the donuts. I'm going to eat all the candy because I've deprived myself for, for so long. But at a certain point, it kind of levels out and you find your sweet spot. But I feel like sometimes, and I think to make a big point or to like craft a clever beam, you kind of sometimes have to go to the extreme. You have to take a hard stance on something. But I, I just feel like, I don't know. I think you're exactly yeah. right. It's, a, it's like pin, pitting two extremes against each other. And it's not, it's not, it's not as black and white as that. Um, I think a good example of what we're talking about is actually in that opinion piece in the New York Times, uh, the smash the wellness industry piece. And there were so many points of the article that I loved. I mean, she really went into a lot of stuff that I was like, yes. Um, I grabbed a quote. So one thing she said is that intuitive eating has been around for decades, but it's suddenly receiving a lot of attention. Perhaps it's because women are finally starting to interrogate the systems that hurt and exploit us. And I was like, hell yes. And then she goes on to say, perhaps it's because we're driven and ambitious and we need energy. And I was like, oh. yes, queen. <laughs> I mean, I say that often when people are like, how do you do so much? How, like, how do you do all that you do? I'm like, dude, I eat so much. I power up my brain and I power up my body so I can do all the things and take over the world. You know, I'm not, I'm not doing that on 1,600 calories, just to be clear. <laughs> but then she loses me when she goes on to say, not lightheaded, leafy greens energy, but real energy, the kind that comes from eating the hearty foods that men eat. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? I was like, wait, what? Men don't like leafy greens? Oh, okay. Earlier in the article, she mentioned watching men at a restaurant eat cheeseburgers. So it like kind of came around to like, all right, so either we're pounding cheeseburgers or we're starving ourselves with leafy <laughs> greens, right? It's like back to the extreme. It's like, why does it have to be so freaking black and white? What I what I really bothered me about the article, and there was a lot of good points. I'm going to talk about the things that I didn't like. Um, her open judgment of how others choose to eat, whether it's gluten-free, dairy-free, kale, whatever. It really rubbed me the wrong way. And I totally understand how disordered the wellness movement is. Like, I, it's what we talk about so often. But just because you choose to eat veggies doesn't mean you're disordered. Um, yeah. This say, actually, save that one for the cheap seats in the back. Right. It's <laughs> Seriously. like there isn't like I, I can eat kale and not be orthorexic, right? Like there it doesn't have to be we don't have to put everything inside a box. Um I was thinking about this this weekend. I went to my brother's uh bridal shower, my future sister-in-law's bridal shower. And it was like a brunch type of thing. So they had a lot, they had a huge buffet out and it was a lot of different brunch items and none of which were, um, I could be sure were gluten-free, dairy-free. Um, so I had just, I just pack food in my car sometimes, like epic bars and fruit and just things that travel well, just in case I get into a situation where I don't know I can eat. Because 
I am very sensitive to both gluten and dairy, and it is not worth it to me to get sick just so I don't have inquiring eyes on what I am or am not eating. Um, so I ate an Epic bar and I ate a freaking apple while everyone else was eating a full meal of food. And people could have easily looked at me and been like, wow, she has a problem, right? Like, wow, she's disordered. And the truth of the matter is like, this is the way that I take care of myself is by not saying, well, I'm so concerned with what other people are going to think about me that I'm going to eat this food that's probably going to make me super sick. What nobody sees is the aftermath. The only people that see that is my husband and my kid, like me lying on the couch, writhing around in pain and having an autoimmune attack for the next week. Like, so I just, I just want to like, speak to the other side of that. Like sometimes people aren't making choices because they're concerned with their weight or they're a slave to the diet industry. Sometimes people are making choices because it is the best choice for them. It doesn't mean that they're disordered. It just means you need to stop throwing judgment around. Um, I'm getting so sweaty talking about this right now. <laughs> like I'm, yeah. My like forehead has beads. I'm so fired up. I mean, I really do. I, I completely agree with her points that the wellness industry is the new diet industry. I really appreciate her bringing that idea to a large platform. But I think the point that's missed here is that many, many women are seeking out the wellness industry, not just for weight loss, but for actual solutions to their health. Um, I speak about it so often, but we're not finding solutions within the medical establishment. We're being cast aside. We're being unheard. Our symptoms are often dismissed. We're not getting answers. So we have to set out to find them on our own. And to some people that, you know, the wellness industry provides those answers. Um, so as somebody like myself, who's approached the wellness world from only a weight loss perspective, right? And then later on, in life, I had no other choice but to approach it from a true health perspective. I can say that for sure there is a difference between the two. And I just don't think, I mean, I think that that figuring out that difference requires a lot of self-assessment and self-awareness, but I don't think other people throwing their judgment your way is really helping the situation. Um, I'm just, I guess I'm at an interesting, so that's like my personal take on it as somebody who like lives it, but then I'll put on like my professional hat and talk about it more as a practitioner. And I'm sort of in this interesting position in my practice, I think because I speak out so openly and vehemently against dieting and diet culture, and because I so openly share my own story of eating disorders for over 12 years, I tend to attract clients who have been through the ringer with disordered eating. Um, but at the same time, I also work with a lot of chronic illness, autoimmune disease, gut stuff, hormones, all that kind of stuff. And food and diet need to be a part of the treatment protocol. Um, I know that the functional medicine world loves to throw therapeutic elimination styles diets at every single chronic ailment, um, and sometimes they work. They have utility. They have merit. I'm not questioning that at all, but they're simply not always appropriate for someone with a deeply disordered past. Um, and I'm very grateful to my clinical experience because it's allowed me to see this. Um, so I want to answer the listener's question. 
she asked, how do we incorporate the ideas of intuitive eating and haze into a functional medicine or an integrative nutrition practice? And to be honest, I actually think it's quite challenging, especially if your training isn't multifaceted. Um, I've been to multiple functional medicine trainings where I'm the loudmouth raising her hand every single time a therapeutic diet intervention gets brought up. Um, for example, intermittent fasting, right? For most women, I don't support that as a viable option for healing, despite the fact that the research says it is so great for so many things. I'm like, yeah, but how are you guys seeing this play out clinically? How are you seeing this play out in actual human bodies? Um, so I'm trying to direct the conversation to how can we approach healing without restriction? Right. And again, I think I, that's really due to my own experience with eating disorders, with working with hundreds of women over the years and really paying attention to how they respond to dietary intervention, how they respond to restriction, which is never well, how they respond to focusing on their health instead of focusing on their weight. And also due to all the other trainings that I've done beyond just functional medicine, beyond just um, integrative nutrition, right? Like spiritual coaching with Jessica Flanagan, my intuition trainings, just pulling together so many of the different trainings that I've done over the past 15 or so years. Um, so that's kind of the way that I include some of the Hayes principles into my work or the intuitive eating principles into my work. Um, and one of the big things that I will say, it's for me, it's, it's about not making weight loss the focus. It's always health. In my practice, I'm not going to help someone lose weight at the expense of their health. I won't do it. And I'll be really straightforward and honest about that with people. Um, I will help you address all the factors to actual health, but your weight is not my biggest concern. Um, but at the same time, we really can't overlook the fact that some foods can be triggers for chronic illness. Like I was saying, I myself have to avoid certain foods to keep my autoimmune disease in remission. And for me, this doesn't feel restrictive or disordered. It really feels more like self-respect to me. Um, and I, I think this is where the anti-diet movement overlooks things. So yeah, focus on health, but sometimes tweaking the diet is a necessary part of health. Does that all make sense? Yeah. That, like, am I being clear with that? Yep. One of the first things I'll look at when I'm trying to evaluate someone's health and their complaints is actually what needs to be removed. Um, and this isn't coming from a place of restriction or trying to dwindle down the foods that they eat. It might not even have anything to do with food at all. But the way I see it is it's like something is on fire and yeah, you can grab a bunch of water to keep trying to put it out, which would just be managing your symptoms. But you also need to figure out what's causing the fire in the first place and stop that, which would be really addressing the root causes. This might be certain foods that they're eating, but it could also be too much stress, poor sleep, parasites, problematic bacteria or yeast, even negative thoughts and beliefs around food. Um, is there trauma that hasn't been addressed? Are there environmental triggers? All of these have the power to impact our health and ultimately our weight, which is why I will usually try and focus on these triggers first and figure out what is kind of contributing to this person's symptoms 
and what's going on with them and work to um, remove them, tweak them, focus on, you know, what's causing the fire in the first place, rather than just focusing on numbers or weight. Um, and I will say if it is around certain foods being triggers, my focus is far less on um, spent talking about the foods to avoid. I spend a lot more time talking about all of the foods that I want them to eat so that it's really sticking with a feeling of abundance and look at all the things I get to eat rather than giving them the impression that we're just going to talk about the things that they can't have. Um, so really focusing on all of these other things, not just weight and numbers, but here's the catch. You have to treat each person individually. So while many functional practitioners start with food, food is not the end all be all, despite how powerful it can be. Part of how we determine what's appropriate for each client is by taking a super comprehensive history and assessment so that you aren't starting with food for someone who has this long history of disordered eating or restriction or with someone who just has a lot of negative thoughts around food, which you're only going to find out if you're asking the right questions, um, which probably isn't happening you know, with your, with your doctor a lot of the time. So there are plenty of other places that you can focus on, just like there are both safe and reckless ways for a practitioner to address possible food triggers with these types of clients. Um, so yeah, food can be a big piece of the puzzle, but it doesn't mean that it's appropriate for you to dive headfirst into that with somebody. Emotions play such a huge part in someone's healing. So there's a lot of potential here to make things worse if you're not careful and considering someone's history around food and restriction. Um, I always, you know, am reminded of that the average length of time that we spend with our PCP is eight minutes. So I can guarantee that you know, weight loss recommendations are made regardless of considering someone's history with food or restriction. So ultimately, I think there's, I think there's a time and a place for haze, and it can be really, really powerful in the right circumstances. But I also recognize that there are so many other factors that can influence weight that when addressed might result in a weight change that you're happy with without even focusing on the weight in the first place. That's a good point. <laughs> might, because it might not, right? That's right. like another thing that we have exactly. to wrap our head around. It's like we might net out at a weight that we, that is heavier than we think we should be, which is like a whole other ball game. Um, it actually kind of leads us to our next listener yes, question. Yes, it does. All right. I wasn't even planning that. Um, <laughs> So the next question came in from an anonymous listener, and it is about weight loss. She writes, I have listened to every episode, well, 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 thank you, and fully understand your stance on diet culture and all the fads that come along with it. My question is, what do you suggest if you actually do have to lose some weight? I know BMI isn't the best marker, but when you are in the high end of the obese category, there are some actual benefits to losing a few pounds. For the most part, I eat whole foods, rarely eat processed food, but do have an unbear undeniable sweet tooth. I don't overindulge, but try to restrict myself, but try not to restrict myself completely, as we all know that behavior always backfires. Um, so one thing I want to quickly state here is that we're going to answer this question and 
in doing so, we're not taking a position on obesity. That is not the goal of the show. A lot of the Hayes work disrupts the fat phobia rhetoric. So I would really recommend you check out their resources if you want to dig more into that because there's a lot of practitioners that are saying um, obesity isn't as bad as we're making it out to be. Again, not the point of the show, but dive into that if you want to learn more. So where do you want to start with this, Kyle? BMI? I don't want to start with BMI. I like, it's just, (laughs) I just think it's silly. It's like, it's a metric. It shouldn't be the metric to, to, to dictate everything. I mean, we all know that it, you know, it's, it's just not super accurate because it doesn't account for body composition. It doesn't account for lean muscle mass. Mm -hmm. It's just, I think it's, it's one speck of information to look at in the overall context. And to your exact point, physicians aren't doing that if they're spending on average eight minutes with somebody. They're just looking at metrics. They're not having an actual conversation. And then they're giving recommendations based on like a few metrics. So BMI is something, it's not everything. Yep. I think the more important question is like, how do you know if you actually have to lose weight? Right? She's like, what if you do have weight to lose? And I feel like that begs the question, but like, how do you know? How do you assess that for yourself? Yeah, where I think people often miss the mark around weight is only focusing on calories and exercise when there are so many different factors that can influence someone's weight. Um, Inflammation, hormones, lifestyle, like too much stress or not enough sleep, your genes and how they're being expressed because of your diet, your environment, and your lifestyle. Diet and exercise are still are still factors here, but they're not they're not you know the only thing that's that's a factor. Um, even mood disorders can influence somebody's weight. So if you're if you work with a functional practitioner and determine what factors are influencing your health, not your weight, and you work on those and your weight changes just as a side effect from all of that, then we know that those factors were in fact influencing your weight. But if you work on identifying what's influencing your health and your symptoms and you work to regain balance within the body, you're feeling so much better, but your weight stays the same, then it might just be a weight that your body is comfortable at. I just saw this quote on Instagram and it said, your best weight is whatever weight you reach while you're living the healthiest life that you can actually enjoy. And I just love it because I think it's, you know, at what, at what cost, you know, don't, don't sacrifice your happiness trying to hit an arbitrary number, um, especially not just because, you know, doing that just because BMI. Um, and another part of this is like, do you even have symptoms that you're struggling with? Or are you only focusing on BMI or the number on a scale or the size clothes you wear? I think it's so important that we think about what our definition of health is apart from those numbers. In conventional medicine, health is typically defined as the absence of disease. In functional medicine, it's defined as a positive vitality. So yes, that also includes the absence of disease, but in addition to that, it's do you feel alive and energized? Do you have a healthy digestion? Do you have optimal functioning of your physical body? And we might all have different definitions of health, but can you really think about what being healthy, what feeling healthy means to you without factoring in numbers and sizes? And if you have some definition of health that resonates with you and you feel that way and you feel good, 
but you can, you're in what you consider to be a bigger body. This is where I think haze can come into play and be super beneficial because if you're already feeling healthy and you don't have any issues going on, there are no signs, no symptoms, nothing. You just feel good. At that point, I feel like the focus should be on dealing with the negative thoughts and beliefs around your body and working on loving your body more. The same body that you're able to achieve your definition of health in. Two people can be at the exact same weight and be at completely different places in terms of health. Just like two people can have the exact same symptoms or be the same size and have totally different factors influencing them because there's just not one single cause for each person dealing with the same symptoms or being at the same weight. This is why just focusing on calories and exercise doesn't work because it completely overlooks each person's unique body and influences. And just because you're in a bigger body doesn't mean it's going to impact you the same way it does somebody else. But on the flip side, if you are experiencing symptoms or having issues with some of the ways that you define health, then I think it doesn't have to be around BMI at all, just how you're feeling. So if you feel like reaching your definition of health is being impacted by your weight, then I think it's worth seeing what factors could be influencing your health. And then if your weight changes while you're working on that, great. But the focus should be on health and feeling well, not the numbers. Yeah, that is all 100%. I am in 100% agreement with all of that. And I think that's a good place to kind of dip out. Um, I do want to answer, I want to get into some of those factors that you're talking about. um, Because I do think that like, if you all of a sudden gain weight out of the blue, um, or if you're slowly gaining weight over time, or you've got these like significant body composition changes, that can be data, right? Um, that can be an indication that like something weird is going on with your body. Sometimes we we will gain weight over time, right? Our bodies change. That's really, really normal. But if something is happening, and it's especially when it's combined with some other weird symptoms, that could be a good indication that that you need to do a little bit of digging. And so I want to go into some of those factors and I'm going to do that on next week's show. Um, What I don't want people to do is say like, hey, I think I actually have weight to lose. You guys aren't telling me what I need to do. So I'm going to run away and go to somebody else who's going to tell me something like super crazy to do. So I want to give like really sound and clear advice on like if you actually have weight to lose, here's what you should do to lose weight in a health and uh, healthy and safe way. Um, but also talk about some potential factors that could contribute to weight loss resistance and weight gain to to look into as well. So stay tuned for next week's show because I'm going to dive into all of that. Cool. Cool. All right, you guys, I hope you learned something this week and I'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you 